just want to know what Black Cat did with the diamond bits. Well, she probably got herself one expensive dildo. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. When only the best will do. Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds comic podcast, episode 67. I'm Carissa, and I'm joined by some other nerds, Rory. Yo. Matt. Howdy. And Ryan. Hello. Together, we take on this week's comics. Each week, we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now, go read your week's books, and then come on back. Each week, one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd, and this week, the pick of the week goes to Unworthy Thor, number five. I totally stole it from someone else. Our companion song is Don't Say a Word by Sonata Artica, because the lyrics, if you listen closely touch on a little bit of everything that's in this issue but in particular he talks about being their god there's some line about doing what your morals are and do the noble thing because that's what your mama says which i think touches on a lot of this whole arc that we've had with unworthy thor and i think it really keys in on to some of the things that happen in his opinion that are revealed in this issue so take a listen Sonata Arctica is some nice Finnish metal for you all. The Unworthy Thor, number five, Marvel Comics, The Whisper, written by Jason Aaron, pencils and eeks by Oliver Copiel. I'm just going to go with that. Kim Jacinto and Pascal Alec. Man, people, Alex, I'm going with. Colors by Matt Lopez and J. David Ramos. I stole this. Who was this? Was this you, Ryan? Matt and I were fighting over who was going to get it, but it ended up going to you. Such a good book. So good. You know, I actually was having a hard time picking which one it was going to be and I was in between a few and it was one of them and I went to bed and I just woke up still thinking about it and so I'm like okay then that's my pick of the week there's a lot going on in this issue I don't know if I was the only one and I'm guessing that I probably was because I don't remember when he originally lost the hammer but I didn't realize that the watcher was Nick Fury and so oh that's back from fear itself no it's, it's after fear itself it was that stupid secrets thing where everybody's got a dark secret they kind of touch on that again and they mention that and how like he's not the same person person it's not actually nick fury anymore but they just share the experiences but overall it's chilling on the moon with its chains and it thinks well it's time odin's son needs to be thor again he needs to basically get over it i shouldn't have said that thing and all my fault my cosmic bad so he has his hand on the hammer and this is this issue is a lot of odinson struggling with himself like he feels that the hammer knows him and that he wants to take it but he and it's screaming his name but he's like no nah, it's not mine this is from another universe there's all these other thors but it's not 
me because he has this idea in his mind of from what happened he chooses that he's not gonna take it but Thanos cronies are still there to like try to take it from him and he's like yeah it's not my hammer but it certainly ain't yours and there's like a nice epic battle the part the collector first of all the collector is drawn super creepy in this issue like a crazy person he's like no you're not going anywhere and like Thori's there and he's setting everyone free and totally messing with it and the part that I thought that was really creepy when it comes to the collector because Odinson basically transports Asgard away and so he loses it in his collection and there's some I'm not sure what kind of alien that is that's working for the collector he has this line where he's like bring me something unique and beautiful so I can watch it die he's like well sir everything's empty everything's gone I'm afraid I'm the last guy here he's like oh you're the last and you see like this creepy craziness as he you know well you're the last so he totally kills that guy so that makes you rare and beautiful then you'll do and then everyone had to know that I thought that this scene would be hilarious and I love it because Thanos gets some loving there's some serious Thanos love hilarious or signals the end of all creation either way so they come back and say they failed they didn't get the hammer he's like came back empty-handed you guys are fools he's like no I brought you an offering takes out the other two and then she reveals that she's death and apparently wants to get it on with hell she's hell hella but she's offering him death because she basically wants hell back in which I think that's a really interesting tie between the Angela story and this I think that's really interesting to me I of course I would the Thanos makeout session was pretty interesting panel it's like that's gonna be interesting that's funny I just wasn't expecting it I liked it I thought it was great I do like how they turn what is a truly horrific turn of events in the Marvel Universe into like a romance novel cover (laughs) right (laughs) I, I did appreciate that turn he's got a love affair with death so that's always been there's some heart to heart with Beta Ray Bill See, I said his name right. Betamax Bill. Thank you, Rory. And, you know, he's explaining why he didn't take it. You could have picked it up if he had tried. And he's like, do you believe that you're worthy again? He's like, no God is worthy. And this is where you hear his whole spiel about what he thinks. Really shows that he has grown up. And the fact that he thinks that, I think, really reflects on who he is. How gods are vain and vengeful creatures. We've been worshipped, but we're not really the betters. That every god is unworthy. And I think that his reflection, I think, is really showing, like, his growth. Which I think... Think is really interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Thor's refusal to lift the hammer is kind of what makes him worthy of lifting the hammer. I think that's a nice turn of writing from Jason Aaron. And then I like how I was like, you know, I might not be Thor even though they say you are Thor. People have been trying to talk him into it and like give him a pep talk. He's like, no, but you know, we did fight this horrible battle so I'm thirsty. Let's go drink. And part of what made this my pick of the week is I love Thor. He's like, this tastes better than murder. And he's like drinking the, out of the stein. Oh, that was my with- favorite. Power Goat. I knew you were going to love that dog. I know, that dog is great. Oh, Thori is awesome. He was one of the fighting factors. It's like, Thori is so great as I'm reading this. And so, you know, they're drinking and celebrating. To me, I was like, okay, that could have just ended there. And then it goes days later and it shows someone approaching the hammer because he left it like wedged into like this brick like courtyard thing. Very kind of Excalibur-esque. And apparently the world is ready for a War Thor, which I was kind of like saying that War Thor. I was going to ask if you guys had any uh, guesses. Well, he's got a glove. Yeah, I don't know who that is. It's just like a repeat of what happened with the previous Thor. When Jane Foster became Thor, they did the exact same thing with... Who's the Thor? I don't know who the War Thor, the Ultimate Thor, is going to be, but I'm kind of interested to find out. Yeah, me too. Am I the only one that throughout this whole thing just felt like there's like some fucking Slayer playing in the background or something like that? Thor is so fucking metal. <laughs> it's. Oh. I mean, I've said it before. It's like an issue of heavy metal come to life. Yeah, it's so true. Earth metal. It's one reason why I went for the Finnish metal band more than the <laughs> wham that Ryan wanted. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it works with the whisper. <laughs> you should do the exit song of the podcast. I <laughs> just do careless whisper. Oh, that's great. That's all funny because he's like walking up and puts his hand on the hammer and he's like, the hammer still knows me. And that. I feel the thunder room drum in my ears. I know. And then you, if we were like making it like I would have it, it'd be like, ah. Thunder, I am Thor. Come <laughs> <laughs> from the land of the ice and snow. <laughs> it's one of those fucking. growling things where he's trying to eat the microphone. For yeah, his... fucking pyrotechnics going off, fucking blood everywhere. Kind of like the last panel. Yeah, basically. Now it's time for the War Thor. Yeah, War Thor. <laughs> <laughs> this book is just like a perfect blend of art and writing. There's nothing I can find to nitpick on this issue. No, there's it's nothing lacking. It's so badass and yeah. great. I had the benefit of reading the entire thing all together because I hadn't had a chance to, to read through it. So I read from one to five all in one shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such a good series. And this book is just the capstone. The art is fantastic. The writing is fantastic. And the heavy metal that you got to play in the background during the entire time <laughs> is fantastic. It and is. the so fact true. that it pulls together so many threads of Marvel storylines that are going for years yep. and brings them all to one point. I do have to say that I'm sick and tired of Thanos. He's going to be in a movie, so he's going to be really important to the Marvel Universe for the next decade. Yeah. So get used to it. Yeah, I didn't really know if he had a place in this, but that scene just kind of won me over. I mean, I would have been happy with that scene in, like, the Thanos comic series that's going on right now, or even, like, in The Guardians. I mean, I enjoyed it for the silliness and over-the-top that it was. It did feel kind of weird in the middle of the Thor comic. At least they fixed his legs, though. At least he doesn't look all, like, misformed in this one. His proportions are accurate. <laughs> See, you keep saying that it's cute and funny when they're making out, and I do not get that sense at at all. I get a sense of cosmic dread and hell on earth is coming. Yes, story-wise, you are correct. But overall, as like a fan, I'm just, it's silly and cute, I think. You know, just because <laughs> it's Thanos. He's supposed to be scary and just seeing the Mad Titan making out to me is humorous. I don't know why. <laughs> Thanos' whole story is a love story. I mean, his whole thing is like a soliloquy to death. Mm-hmm. He's doing all of this for love. It's just that his love will, you know, bring about the destruction of all existence and eternity (laughs) so thanos is very emo is what you're saying no quite the opposite of that everyone else is emo when thanos gets his way (laughs) i gave this five this tastes better than murder that's what i was gonna use (laughs) i will give it five gore was right i'm going to give this Five, then you'll do. I will give it five heavy metal riffs at the end of the comic. Damn, we got it. all fives right there. Hey. All fives, one of our few unanimous five-star books. We actually agreed about some shit. <laughs> and what's funny is the only other one I can think of was Doctor Strange, which was also written by Jason Aaron. So. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Thor is not the only living god walking the earth. <laughs> <laughs> so over to the DC Universe, over to Detective Comics number 953 from DC Comics, League of Shadows Part 3, Kiss of the Dragon, written by James Tinney and the Fourth, pencils and inks by Christian Deuce and Fernando Blanco, colors by Alex Sinclair and Alan Pasolacqua. So this is basically the continuing story of what a fucking thundercunt Lady Shiva is. She's the devil, <laughs> essentially. She and her forces are in Gotham City wreaking hell and using a Joker attack as kind of the cover for it. Jim Gordon is going 
going off on a vacation and he gets pulled back and he's convinced that there's a massive Joker attack going on because there's hundreds of people that have been gassed, Joker venom, and the city's on fire and all the bridges are shut down. You know, very classic Joker. And Batman's explaining to him that, no, this is just a feint. And then he kind of like gestures out the window. Like, I actually like the scene where he gestures out the city on fire. He's like, this is the feint? You know, what's the attack? <laughs> well, and then you get to see the attack. You get kind of a flashback. And this part is actually, I thought, Carissa, you would really like this these next couple parts here. It's actually really heartbreaking where Lady Shiva is training and fighting with Orphan. And mm-hmm. she's basically beating the shit out of her and telling her that she's being distracted. And she pulls that little scarf thing she has that she thinks is from her mother. She's like, did you think there was anyone in the world that cared about you? You know, no one does. This isn't from your mother. This is like a piece of cloth from someone I killed. And I meant to burn it, but you took it before I could. Which is just brutal, the way that she tears down Cassandra. That's a dude. Is that? I thought that was... No, that's the person that trained her. I was thinking it was her father, because her father trains her. But that's a dude. Oh, I thought that was just a weird drawing of Lady Shiva. It's not Lady Shiva, Mm -hmm. but don't worry. She gets to be plenty evil in this issue. So then you actually get... She's thinking back to that scene where the person is being exceptionally cruel to her. And Clayface is kind of giving her a pep talk that she doesn't have to talk. And since he became Clayface, he's not so good at talking anymore. And he actually gives her like a copy of like the complete works of Shakespeare. Because he's like, this helped me find my voice when I was younger. So maybe it'll help you. And he's like, you know, Batman sent me here to guard you. But there's no way I could stop you if you wanted to leave. So I'm not even going to try. Just be safe out there. And she splits to go find Lady Shiva. And that's when the ninjas show up and the murders start. (laughs) The ninjas show up to fight Clayface. I don't know if he's actually dead or just in pieces on the floor, but they fuck him up pretty good. And then you've always had these things with Orphan talking about how she could beat the bat. And she and Batman have this fight where he's like, I'm not going to fight you. And she just proceeds to beat the hell out of him. Which is kind of interesting. You see this stagger of progression of who you think is the best fighter. Like Batman, you think is the best fighter, right? And then Cassandra unleashes on him. She doesn't kill him, but she does Sparta kick him off the side of a building. And of course he grabs onto a gargoyle, which is actually a pretty cool shot of him hanging there. And then you have a shot where Batwoman shows up and sees all those pieces of uh, Clayface lying on the ground. And then she gets attacked by ninjas and taken to her father's cell for another heartrending piece of cruelty where her dad who's in the jail who was telling them the League of Shadows is coming and was trying to raise that bat army and Batman told him the League of Shadows wasn't real. So the League of Shadows drags in front of him and drives a sword through her stomach as she's asking her dad to like help her and she doesn't understand what's going on. So there's that. Shiva is destroying every member of Detective Comics in here. And then you finally get the actual confrontation between her and Orphan in whatever version of like Times Square that Gotham has. And she She's telling her that they both have the ability to see death. And they illustrate this in those panels with those like red circles that show like the vital points you can strike at. And Shiva is kind of berating her and telling her that the power is useless if she pulls back at the last moment and doesn't strike. And she's trying to talk to her and Shiva is like, no, words are not your language. That's not what I taught you. I taught you to fight. That That's how you express yourself. So they start fighting and Shiva is pissed because Orphan still won't strike at her to kill her. She knocks her out in the street 
feet and with another kind of cruel blow they're like should we drag her off and take her with the others Shiva's like no leave the garbage on the street we have more important things to deal with Uh which is just so fucking brutal right and then here's another one that I thought would kind of rip your heart out is Batman gets a call from Alfred where he's like "Uh, sir someone's been in the Batcave you need to get here really fast and then you just kind of hear Alfred screaming so Batman is like driving as fast as he can to get to the Batcave to find out what the hell is going on and seeing all the images of all of his team falling Clayface cut to pieces they're like stabbed through the stomach orphan line beaten on the streets and you get a reveal of who's there to help him which is Razagulist which is kind of a cool panel at the end where Razagul is standing in the Batcave I really liked that that tie together thought this issue really showed the cruelty of Lady Shiva that not only can she fight you she will destroy your mind and your soul as well I really liked it I thought it was pretty spectacular Matt what'd you think of it well I love that Ra's al Ghul is here this is Batman's best friend of me I am not terribly happy about the storyline but I think that it was well written I think the art was fantastic I love how these guys are drawing Batman and his fucking costume is like the best version of the Bat costume I think right now anyways but this whole I'm gonna destroy the Bat family thing is getting a little old because it seems to be that they just did this at the beginning of the new 52 or somewhere around the middle of it and now granted the new 52 doesn't exist anymore but it's just a little tiring I'm like you take these the most dangerous people in Gotham and oh a couple of the like minion ninjas can take them down and I'm like fuck that no that's inaccurate and stupid I'm like these guys are badasses and can take on anybody but these people show up and I'm like that's like the hand taking out the X-Men I'm like no bullshit Uh, these people were personally trained by Batman and Batwoman I understand why they're doing it they need to do it but it's just a little unbelievable but the way they did it I felt was pretty good I'm just tired of the storyline of I know I'll destroy Batman's family and then you know in a week you'll be back together again I mean that's kind of the curse of comics right is you're caught in these classic storylines and keep repeating every couple years. But I mean, there's other storylines that could have repeated that they didn't literally just do. <laughs> the death of the family thing seems to be what they're doing again. Yeah, well, I mean, death of the family was really more the literal being killed in the streets. It was the death of those familial bonds that the Joker went in and destroyed those. And this one is... Literally trying to kill them. Lady Shiva is literally shoving a sword in your stomach and leaving you bleeding out in the streets. Yeah. And being exceptionally cruel to her daughter to try and awaken, like, yeah. an inner assassin within her, I guess. She's a bitch. Yeah, she is. She's <laughs> horrible. She should read some comics, though, because I think time and time again it shows that when you do something like that, all it means is that they're going to get revenge on you and be even more dedicated to the cause of helping people. Maybe it'll be a, a moment to grow on after school special <laughs> at the end, but... <laughs> She'll do a ballet to it. It'll be all movement. I would give it four and a half. Who else but Razag? God damn it. I will give it for... Who is that guy behind Rachel Ghoul? He's in the comics all the damn time. And he was even in the show, but I can't remember his goddamn name. Giant bruiser guy with the yeah, yeah, his no bodyguard. shirt. And... Yep. All right. I believe Matt is next. Sort of the opposite of the death of the family, the destruction of Bonds, we go over to Marvel. Yep, with Extraordinary X-Men number 20. It opens with Storm Ass. Storm Ass. That's all you think about is just their ass. She's just a piece of meat. <laughs> That's how it just opens up. It's just a shot right on her butt. Well, you know, sex sells. Got Extraordinary X-Men number 20 by Marvel Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, pencils and inks by Victor Abinez, colors by J. David Ramos. This book, one thing, I've been out of the X-Men for a little while because I didn't like where they went with the Avengers versus X-Men, so I've read maybe four books that have occurred in between there. I'm a little lost, but this particular book I thought was really kind of nostalgic. I feel like this is a return to classic X-Men, bringing back the good X-Men feelings. 
This is like such a Claremont issue. I literally had flashbacks to reading literal classic X-Men or, you know, books that I read when they weren't classic X-Men, but they were new and it was the 80s. It just, it had that kind of feel from back in the day. Have everybody packing up and leaving the X-Haven and going back to Earth. Uh, It's the kind of the precursor to the Resurrection books, which I'm really fucking excited for because I'm really hoping I'm not let down. They look like they're bringing back some classic X-Men feels and I'm really hoping for that. We've got, you know, Sentinel fighting. We've got a classic, not completely classic group of X-Men, but with some of the newer people in it. But we end up at the end of the book with a classic Claremont scene. Oh, my heart leapt with joy when I saw this part. Fucking playing baseball. It was just so, oh my God, it's the X-Men. I love this. And I haven't felt looking at an X-Men book in probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years that I'm reading the X-Men. And I felt that at the end of this. I'm really hoping that they carry this on into the resurrection stories to that feel there's been a couple of little clues and hints they popped with like their generations that even classic wolverine is coming back which i'll I'll be totally happy with i like where they're going with this and the book itself was a quick read good art classic elements and a classic chris claremont ending it's a good let's cap off what we've had and now let's move forward with what resurrection is going to be hopefully true to the fans i think old man logan playing baseball was just weird (laughs) like oh he's so grumpy but even old man logan's that classic banter with Nightcrawler. This is the X-Men I know and remember kind of feel. I did enjoy it. X-Men is what really got me into comics, so I really did enjoy this. Though it is missing my personal take. It's missing some key characters that I would like to see, but I did enjoy it. I did think it was funny that it did open on Storm's ass. Though they can get rid of Magic. I don't really care for her. Oh, she's my favorite X-Men. I liked it. There wasn't a whole hell of a lot going on plot-wise, really. So that was kind of the downside. It's like, you know, they're kind of just like resetting after the whole X men versus inhumans bullshit what this book kind of reminds me of is the end of the princess bride where like the grandfather puts the book away puts it on the shelf and kind of like leaves you with like almost like a warm emotional hug yeah that's what this book is it's putting all the pieces back in on the shelf so that they can take them and do what they want with them and leaving you with classic x-men feels very true it's a cozy denouement a what the denouement is the thing at the end of the story is that tells you how everything ends up okay fancy i'm the only person who paid attention in english class Yep. <laughs> Me fell English? That's impossible. It was definitely good. I enjoyed it. It was cool. I'm hoping that behind the scenes, the fact that they are making the X-Men relevant and good again oh, please. means that they're going to be coming into the Marvel Cinematic I Universe. Know. Because the thing we're learning, I think, is that the MCU drives everything. Look at Thor's haircut. In service to that in the end now. Hulk's if coming it back. in the movies, it will work its way into yep. the comics. So this makes me think that they're either going to be good X-Men movies, or they're going to be integrated more into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because maybe those fucking idiots realized with Spider-Man that exactly. by their powers <laughs> combined, they can make billions of dollars. I would love to see Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool in the MCU. I don't want to see Deadpool toned down. They need to both understand yeah. there's a place for R-rated movies with comic book characters. I mean, there has been. There's a history of them. Not every fucking movie. You don't need to have Logan say fuck 17 times in the first 10 minutes of the movie, but at the same point in time, you're not going to have Captain America be around a character that says fuck 17 times in the first 10 minutes of the goddamn movie. He'll just say language. That was the best part. PG-13 is fine. It's just that the Fox X movies have no fucking clue what to do with these characters. It's like they've had, what, three successes maybe? So true. There's been some good movies, but nothing is really connected. X-Men 2 was good. They were like, like they had a series and then they fucked up on the third one and then they fucked up on X-Men Origins and then they've done okay and then they've had a couple
couple of fucking hits, right? But then, like, everybody's like... Yeah, like, I don't know how they ruined the Phoenix Saga. That <laughs> story wrote itself. I mean, how could you mess that up? You just need to take a step back, read some fucking comics, call up the guys at Marvel and go, <laughs> okay, you win, and just make money. <laughs> make lots and lots of fucking money. Pull any Chris Claremont story off the shelf, yeah. film that shit how he wrote it, boom. Uh, truckloads so of money. True. I'm going to give it... Just because I liked it so much just for the feels that I got off of the thing. I don't think it was an exemplary book, so I'm going to not give it anything higher than a four, but I'm going to give it four classic Claremont X baseball games. Well, I gave it three and three quarter storm butt. <laughs> I'm going to give it three and a half. It's in time. <laughs> I actually really love this one, so I will give it four and a half. Actually, I've got an idea. You have good ideas. Sir, you want to take us over to... Don't make him angry. She. <laughs> it's just Hulk now. You don't have to refer to her as She-Hulk no more. All right, so we got Hulk number four, Marvel Comics Deconstructed Part 4, written by Mariko Tamaki, pencils and inks by Nico Leon, colors by Matt Miller. So this one's continuing off with Jennifer. So in this series, she's gotten this... I thought she was an old lady when this started off. It turns out that it's a weirdly drawn <laughs> young character. And so what's happened is she's hired Jennifer to come along and defend herself from getting evicted from her home, right? So that's what's been going on in the series. Now what they do is they kind of cut us in on her back history a little bit. Maze Brune, Braun, however you say her name. And so what happened with her is it looks like she was out and she was like a yoga instructor and then she gets jumped by these... They're actually really cool looking, I thought. They're like glow-in-the-dark, creepy-faced ninjas or like if you've ever played the game Payday 2, it looks a lot like their creepy masks they wear. For some reason, they basically like chase her into an alleyway and corner her and then kick the crap out of her and they don't really say why. And then she's now in this building and she's got like creepy black eyes. Like other people that live in the building have the same thing. And like they've got a cop who's like talking about how this entire block gives me the creeps. What happens is Jennifer goes to talk to her about the whole thing. And then when she shows up after going through and like having trouble finding the building and it's like really like kind of elusive and talking some creepy old man with the weird creepy black eyes the police are finding bodies of cops that are buried in the alleyway and she tells her she's like you know i did my best can't protect you against this whole eviction thing and she's like getting like really upset and you promised and she's like i never promised you anything and then she's like i didn't hire you to tell i'm crazy and she's like you're not crazy and then she kind of like flashes back to right before she gets injured from thanos during the civil war two like so she's talking about how like oh there's a time when I lost stuff and she's like fading back into her unconsciousness and like how she like got blasted by Thanos. This chick starts getting angry with her and she's like you promised I don't have any choice and then this big creepy like a junk golem. Is that the right way to say to describe this? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. Because she's a hoarder, right? So all the demon is, like, forming its body out of, like, all her bags of, like, garbage and newspapers. Yeah, so it's like this big old junk demon creates itself. That's going to be interesting. We're going to get to see, well, I guess we should start calling her her proper name Hulk now, since she's no longer She-Hulk. We're going to get to see Jennifer kick some ass next issue. I really like She-Hulk or Hulk now. So it takes a lot of bad writing and art to make me not like a book, and I don't like this. What? You don't like this one? No. The specific really? issue? So the idea that I was under the impression was that after she got the shit kicked out of her by Thanos, she was going to go back into like a more regressive primal state. Now that that would have been interesting. I just think this is like sex and the city and Hulk. It's just not interesting to me at all. <laughs> 
but you like that with Patsy Walker. It's not horrible. It's just I don't feel any connection whatsoever. This does not feel like Jennifer to me at all. Well, that's the point. I just... She's gone through traumatic issues, and that's what they're showing with whatever the fuck her name is. The big shadow demon check. She... One... And I think it's an inhuman ghetto is what the building is. Because she's an inhuman, they said, at the beginning of the series. But I think what they're showing is that these people both have PTSD. And they're showing different aspects of how PTSD is handled. So Jennifer's got the PTSD from almost dying. And this chick's got it from being beaten left in the alley. They're basically showing you how two different people handle that. And then Jennifer, of course, is going to have no choice but to hulk out. And then we're going to see finally what the covers have all been kind of leading towards is her being like a a gray, more masculine looking She-Hulk Hulk Hulk, uh, or, you know, what, however she ends up, you know, turning into, we're going to see what her transformation is and maybe why she's afraid of being the Hulk. Maybe there's going to be something else, but I think that's what they're going towards there is they're showing you what happens with even to somebody as big and powerful as her when you get that close to death. I like that you mentioned the covers. Cause I was going to say, like, the covers haven't really been reflecting the story so far at all. Yeah, and actually, speaking of the cover, that is one of the shittiest covers I've seen in comics in a long-ass time. It's a really that, that bad cover. That is a pretty bad cover, actually, now that I look at it. I like this story, actually. I did enjoy the artwork. I thought the artwork was actually probably my favorite part about it. It's very clean. It is kind of menacing, I will say. Some of the facial expressions were kind of, like, lame. I was going to say, like, the scene where the cops are in the area, and it's, like, this nice, like, New York winter scene. That was, like, clean as fuck. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in there between all the automobiles and stuff there, all the trees. I realized they used a lot of digital rendering to to make that. When I saw that, I kind of pictured in my head, like, walking down a winter street in New York. Kind of going along with that theme, I did like the coloring. There's the panel where the cops find the body, and you have the red light from their, like, Mm -hmm. you know, lights on the top of the car bleeding into the alleyway. I thought that was really good to set, you know, the look of the scene and the emotional tone of it with the reds. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Yoga instruct when she's in the flashback, I thought she was really adorable little girl. That was really interesting. You thought she was an old woman, like so you didn't really see that before. So I like the kind of change in the flashback. And then the part where you're talking where she's falling into her unconscious. I really like how she looks there. Yeah. I agree. How Jennifer looks there. I think she looks really pretty and I just like that movement of her falling. I really like how her hair is moving. And I don't remember the name, but you've actually described it's like superheroes and sex in the city as a pro. Yes, when it's done well. When selling me on that Luna Brothers comic. (laughs) Many years ago was one of the first comics I recommended to you. But that was done well. This is not, in my opinion. But, I mean, obviously, I'm the lone man out on this one, but I'm not loving it. So how about ratings? Yeah, I'm down to rate it up. I'm going to give it three and a half glow-in-the-dark ninjas. I'll give it two and a half, you promised. I gave it three Thanos backhands. I'll give it four smash! Still in Marvel. It's me. It is Invincible Iron Man, number five, Marvel Comics, written by Brian Michael Watsabendis, pencils and inks by Stefano Casilier, and colors by Marte Garcia. I'm a little sad that the cover doesn't show what happens in the issue because I want to see her interact with all those people. What? I want to talk about misleading covers. Yeah. I know, seriously. Some Groot and Star-Lord and Doctor Strange, Miss Marvel. Yeah, Cho, Cap. Little Bum. Chala. Who else do you need? And who shows up? Not a goddamn one. I personally <laughs> love the beginning of this issue. The part that actually has Riri in it later is okay. It's following up from the last issue, but the conversation with her mom in the garage to, she's trying to reach Tony's AI. Yeah. It's heart-wrenching. 
mean and it's thoughtful and it just oh it just makes you feel for her and i think it's a very true to the core of what a mom would be who wants to protect her teenage daughter who she knows is smarter than her is capable who she realizes is a hero and can do this but still wants to protect and have her little girl yeah i think it's gorgeously written honestly i love that the beginning this was almost my pick of the week just for that beginning the reason why it wasn't is because the rest of it with her and pepper pot and the weird tech ninja girl wasn't as interesting to me though her assassin shield was great <laughs> you didn't like the freaking glow in the dark grave ninjas glow in the dark grave ninjas yeah with their like glow stick yeah dude they're all you would think glowing yep. in the dark would be a bad thing for a ninja. <laughs> they are foiled by Riri putting in a virus into her own suit, get it out of said suit, and sending it after them. And basically, this crashes their whole system. Go Riri. So, yeah, she's using her smarts, not just her brawn of her suit, which is really cool. I still like that they show her being very inventive in how she handles things. Shield was pretty dumb and boring. <laughs> Didn't care for that. I like that you see how she knows how to use a sword based on her stepdad teaching her how to fence. She doesn't know how to use a sword. That was the exact opposite point of that. The whole thing is there's that cool moment of like, do I know how to use a sword? It has the flashback to the training exercise and she refuses. I love this aspect where Riri's like, just because I don't want to join you doesn't mean I'm with Hydra. You know, like how they instantly go, well, if you're not with us, you're against us. She's like, I don't agree with a lot yeah. of the things you're doing, but I'm still a hero. I just don't want to sign up with you. I thought that was really important and a really strong message to send, I think, out there. I was, makes me prouder I'm like go oh, girl yeah she's like i'm not gonna be part of your the man freaking invasion of privacy bullshit and that doesn't make me fucking hydra fan you assholes yeah basically <laughs> it showed her as like a strong independent character exactly that's how i felt and she's like fuck you i don't need and i think you. it also kind of illustrates that a lot of the newer heroes are refusing to be drawn into like the old conflicts you know like we get that with champions a lot too mm-hmm where they're like, fuck your stupid bullshit where you have to be in part of us being drawn into civil wars and heroes fighting heroes and we're not doing that stupid stuff. Very millennial of them. And she networks. She makes an arrangement to talk to Pepper later. She understands her limitations and what parts and things that she needs to learn and that she wants to basically pick Pepper's brain and fill in like areas and spots where she might not know certain things. Anybody else notice that Deadpool was Ah, uh, thank you. He was. Thank you for pointing that out. His little head's all... <laughs> yeah. I was like, what the fuck? He's just there chilling on the rooftop. Deadpool was not on the cover. <laughs> no, he was not. I like the evil side eye that she gets from Tomeo as she, her helmet's coming down, the clamshell's coming uh, down. Yeah, that's good. I love those three panels were great. That's right she's before so the Deadpool like pop out. She goes home and she's passed out. She's tired and that's just when her mom's checking on her, clearly showing her worry but trying not to be. I like it. She's like, you need to put Neosporin on the boo-boos. Oh, such a mom thing. Such a mom. I love that. I would. But, you know, they have their heart to heart and kind of see a, like a payout from that conversation earlier just a little bit of that coming through trying to you know let her daughter be her daughter the hero and give him the space the end what the hell <laughs> yeah. tony ai is in his lab and he's there to talk to friday and she appears and she's like you know you don't need to be a projection says, well that's left over because you're originally a program i'm a program of someone who was actually living it's like it's a little different he gets that whole thing like like weird matrix vibes where the humans are the problem they're the ones who are wrong it's a total ultron response friday looks a little you're not really sure what her reaction i'm gonna go with jock but it could be like 
I view that almost like a processing. So that was a weird ending to that. So not what I was hoping for, because I really like the kind of Tony banter with Riri when they were training. I think they really played well off of each other. So if he's kind of moved apart from that, I'm going to be kind of bummed. But I'm still super pleased with how Riri's turning out. I really like how they're portraying her. And like I said, the beginning was my favorite. I got to say, just to jump out there, it's like, I really like Riri as the new Iron Man. You know, she's very much an independent character, much like Tony but she's very different than him in a lot of ways. She's still got that like maverick spirit and stuff, which is great. I do like, I've, we already talked about how I liked how that she's basically just not falling in with the same groups and just like kind of like going, oh yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D., sure, I'd like to team up with you guys, like to actually have like a different response and be like, no, you, you guys are bad. You guys do all kinds of fuck bullshit. I don't want to be part of your thing. I like that. I like that with this character, she's not just an attempt at making a new Tony Stark. They're trying to make her different yeah she's definitely not tony jr yeah yes exactly so that's something i've really liked about invincible iron man i thought this was great great artwork great story they just keep on wanting me to come back every time i see invincible and iron man pop up i'm like all right cool you know can't wait i really like seeing her develop yeah they do a really good job yeah i think they nail the emotions between her and her mom really well and the loss of her father those themes they do really well i do like her as a character i thought the fight scene with the sword was actually really interesting i have a twist on comic book convention to the flashback mm-hmm. to the training montage. I just overall, I liked it. The art's beautiful. Very interesting twist at the end. I, I was a fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am going to make a kind of a projection or a, a prophecy, <laughs> we could say. Right. about Tony. They're making AI Tony be bad because they're going to bring back real Tony. The Generations thing, they've already said that they're going to bring back Tony, they're going to bring back Banner, they're going to bring back, you know, 1,500 different characters. It's like, what, 10 books? And each one's going to bring back the classic and then they're going to pair them up with their generational character or the legacy character so that they could have some sort of legacy building thing. But they are also have said at the end of the year, they're trying to bring Marvel back to be more of a classic Marvel thing. So I think real Tony's going to come back to fight AI Tony. Gert better be resurrected, just saying. Well, there's no young Gert, so I don't know how they would do that. But there's a Runaways TV show coming out, so... They probably will bring Gert back, just because there's a TV show and they have to have a comic to back it up. I, I like the book a lot. The art was fantastic. The writing is pretty good. I'm not Bendis' hugest fan, but this is where I think that they should keep him, is writing single solo books that are not world-spanning, because he's really bad at running a universe. He seems to be good, but then everything he creates, he fucks up. I've not been happy with the last 17 years of Marvel. Like, on a huge scale, I think that he's not done well with it. They've just been too... This thing, and 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 we haven't gotten any really good solo... Like, the characters' stories. Character development has kind of died in the last such and such amount of time, and their answer for that is, I'm going to replace them with a different person playing the same character. So, I'm not a huge Bendis fan when Bendis has too much power. I think that his best stuff is when he writes a book that's just his little bailiwick all alone, and not too big or heady of a thing. The only other real big problem I had with it is Riri's mom looks too young the way that they draw her. She looks like a teenager herself. Uh, she's hot. I think she's a young Yeah, and Riri's only mom. 15, so I'm one of those people who's a young looking almost 40. Uh, I'll be 40 in June so I realize I'm a hypocrite saying this because I look like I'm in my late 20s sometimes. That's what every guy in his 40s says, dude. It's cool. But she looks ridiculously young. No, everybody's like, oh, you're like, what, 29? I get called a kid, like, often, and it's annoying. I got carded a while back, so 
tweet. My audiologist thought I was a way younger than I am. Hey, I got carded for cigarettes. Ha <laughs> ha. I thought that she was maybe Riri when I first saw her because I haven't been reading this book. So I was like, who the heck is that? Yeah. I think what you were saying about Bendis, with especially with Iron Man, is there are two actual people who are perfect for Tony Stark. Uh, and one of them is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and nailed perfectly. <laughs> and in the comics, Bendis is Tony Stark. Like, they just yes. mesh perfectly together. So a lot of Bendis's characters end up sounding exactly like this. But for Tony Stark, this is exactly right. And he also nails Miles Morales perfectly, too. Other than that, everyone sounds alike. But in this book, I don't think that's a problem. And he also does manage to keep Riri with enough of a unique voice, too. I think Bendis would fall over himself right away to have Tony and Kitty Pride be together. <laughs> does like Kitty Pride. And Nightcrawler, too. A tail can go all kinds of places. <laughs> I was just thinking that, like... I was going with a Weezer song, but okay, perverts. Do you not listen to us? Alright, <laughs> uh, I guess let's rate it up. I give it four. It's the humans. That's what I was gonna use. Oh, total reversal, you're stealing from me. <laughs> I will give it four. Pray tell, what is that? I'm gonna give it four and a half random-ass Deadpool in the background showing up. And <laughs> we'll give it four. These characters aren't in the book at all. Alright, so I'm swinging us back over over to DC, over to Suicide Squad number 14, DC Comics, Burning Down the House, part four. There's actually two stories here, just like all Suicide Squad stories, right? So there's Burning Down the House, part four, hit it. Hit it, yeah. It takes two to make a thing go right. <laughs> it takes two to make it out of sight. <laughs> Get our nerd karaoke at some point. <laughs> Yep, yep, exactly. Burning Down the House Part 4, Hit It, written by Rob Williams, pencils by John Romita Jr., inks by Richard Friend, colors by Dean White. Second story is Live Free, Die, written by Rob Williams, pencils by Eddie Barrows, inks by Ever Ferreria, colors by Adriano Lucas. So this Suicide Squad story is continuing Rustam and his moves to basically burn down all the power structures in the world and, you know, free the people from the tyranny of, the you know, the chains of government and big business that are holding them in place. And he's engineered Deadshot to betray Suicide Squad and kill Amanda Waller, and Boomerang has assassinated another member of the Suicide Squad, and now Rustam has captured Flag and Katana, and keeps offering them the same deal, which they aren't going for, so I don't know why he keeps offering it to them, because they're never going to accept that <laughs> deal, <laughs> right? So he's got them chained up, and they're standing in, like, the burning in Washington, D.C., and he's trying to tempt them, and they're not having any part of it. Katana of like swears that like she's gonna kill Deadshot with her sword. One thing I do notice art-wise about this book is they don't do blood very well. The blood looks nope. like paint or something. It just doesn't look liquid. Like it doesn't look like blood should look. So that's... So which artist's blood are you talking about? I'm talking about in the first story is where I notice it the most. Bermuda's. Okay. And it's really distracting actually. Otherwise, I mean, the art looks pretty good. The blood is not, not good. Yeah, it's definitely some 90s comic blood right there. Harley Quinn is back at the headquarters in Bell Reeve talking to the new replacement for Amanda Waller, wanting to see, like, the security footage for what happened to, is it Hack? I think it's Hack, Hack. yeah. Uh, but they don't have the security tapes for it. Harley Quinn's not buying it, and she's pissed off. And the woman tries to pull, like, an Amanda Waller thing where she's like, you know, you have to listen to me. I run the Suicide Squad. <laughs> Harley Quinn's like, you don't run shit. <laughs> the brain bombs got turned off. <laughs> 
You have no control over us. And then she uses the brain bombs everyone has implanted to talk to them. Very much like her scene in Suicide Squad, where she like smashes the windows. They're like, we're bad guys. This is what we do. Kind of speech where she's telling them, we're not here to save the world and protect these systems. Yet they're criminals and they do bad things. But this is about revenge. So she's kind of gathering up the rest of the Suicide Squad, and she gets the coordinates for where Rustam and his people are, and she arrives there in her jet and fights him with a big-ass hammer and gets fucking shot by Deadshot in the stomach, which obviously Harley Quinn is not going to die, but, you know, dramatic tension is she's on death's door here from Deadshot. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of get the second story is really continuing the grand tradition of Boomerang being a total piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. About how he killed Hack and now he's kind of like at the bottom of his Australian giant thing of beer, which I do like that the other Australians are making fun of him for not being Australian enough. <laughs> he's like, what do I have to do? Ride a goddamn kangaroo into here? He's like, do you not see the boomerang on my head? And, and all of that. Uh, I thought he was in an American bar. He's in Louisiana. And said that he was from London. Oh, they can't they tell the difference? Uh, I thought he was like in the Outback. I guess hillbillies are the same everywhere. No, that's where they got like rebel banners in the background at the bar. There was another issue. Was it Super Sons where Boomerang was actually in Australia? That was in the Flash. So he's been yeah. jumping around. Those really bad spider crocodile Dundee dudes. Yeah. He's feeling suicidal and goes to fight Killer Croc. And I really like that picture of Killer Croc. Like he looks badass. Oh, yeah. Still badass. Where he says, like, gonna eat you! Yeah, that one. That one. <laughs> Boomerang is there, trying, basically trying to kill himself, getting Croc to kill him. And June is there and she tells him that people are, there's multiple layers, uses her magic and kind of like looks into, I'm interpreting anyway, is looking into his soul as the Enchantress and asking him what he wants and what he wants is to hurt someone, which is why he agrees to go with Harley Quinn to get revenge, which is kind of weird that you're the traitor that they want revenge for, but you want to go with them. That part is kind of weird to me. But they end up landing in this, you know, the same place where Harley Quinn is. And this is where you get the big reveal where Rustam is talking to them saying, you know, why are you fighting me? I set you free. And then Captain Boomerang's like, we'll never be free. And then you get this voice who's like, good job, like know your place. And then you get this look of panic in Rustam's face where he's like, no. And then you see Amanda Waller step out of somewhere with a big ass fucking gun. And I like the end line (laughs) where it's like, and on the third day she wrote again that was pretty cool to me i enjoyed that there's lots of things i liked in here i I didn't really like all the harley quinn stuff that much actually which kind of surprised i didn't really feel that that was used very well but i did like the stuff with boomerang and i did like the reveal with amanda waller so what do you guys think of suicide squad I say I really like the panel where it's Boomerang's either reflection or it's looking through the pint glass. Like, cause it looks even more drunk <laughs> than if like a normal straight-on panel. I, I really did enjoy the hillbilly scene the most and the swamp. I like the artwork for that section of the story. I'm, I've always been a fan of John Romita Jr. I think that he works kind of well for this. I will agree with the blood thing, though. He's never really done blood right. It kind of looks more like she's got mud all over her than, than anything else. But that's not just his failing. That's also the colors and the inking. I mean, it's really kind of their job to add that layer in there. The artist's job is to say, there's blood here. And then it's their job when it's a color book to kind of pull it forward and make it 
pop out. It's very flat. I think you're right about the coloring, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a team fuck up here. Uh, he could have done better, but they also, they should have done better with that. The big thing that stands out to me about this comic, it, it's really fucking pissing me off that that movie fucking sucked so goddamn bad, but this book is so goddamn good, and I don't get why this is true. The book is just really good. It's really deep intrigue and like a kind of a fucked up family feel that it, it seemed like they were trying to go for, but they just didn't do it right in the movie. But the book is just so fucking good. I really like this. It's not going to ever be a favorite book of mine, but it, it's on my list of, oh, I don't hate that. <laughs> That's high praise from you, Matt. <laughs> it is. It is. On that note, I would say I would like to wipe my ass with this fucking <laughs> book. <laughs> okay, so my take on it, like the artwork's good. I don't mind the artwork at all. It's not really this particular issue. It's just Suicide Squad in general. You're right. There is a lot of intrigue that goes on there. There's a lot of, you know, they do put a lot of like depth into it. I just can't find myself giving a fuck about most of these <laughs> characters, you know? Mm. I really don't. There's like, I'm like, okay, yeah, they're going to have their heads exploded if they don't go kill some shit or something. Yeah, great. I just never found it interesting and I kind of like just drag myself through every issue and yeah, they just haven't really done much to really make me want to care about these characters. Boomerang says lots of funny shit. Like Ryan, I really enjoyed how they made Croc look in this one. He looks just fucking immense and like this, like what he is. He's a fucking ancient ass fucking mutated crocodile basically in human format. But yeah, I don't know. I just don't give a shit. I just really don't and I, I just can't find any interest in Suicide Squad in any of their various formations. It's just sucked for me so far. The whole Amanda Waller thing, it's like, it wasn't like this big reveal. It's like, yeah, we knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when. That's an editorial fail because they've got her still alive in other books. And then on the third day, she rose again. And I'm like, yeah, we know. We we saw you over in Flash. (laughs) (laughs) You can't have someone die and come back in the same arc, right? (laughs) You really shouldn't do that. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of lame. I will give it... Four, and on the third day, she rose again. God damn it! <laughs> I gave it mid-range, two and a half, stay away from June! I'm gonna give it two, know your place. I will give it three and a half. That's a badass-looking killer croc. So, uh, this week we've got uh, Action Comics number 976 by DC Comics, no fucking duh. Superman Reborn, <laughs> part four, written by Dan Jurgens, pencils by Doug Monkey, inks by Jamie Mendoza, Christian Alame, and Trevor Scott, colors by Will Quintana. It takes three fucking people to ink this book. Jesus Christ, people. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think you are, Doctor Strange? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Just pour some ink on it. There is a lot of black in this, the inks. First, before I get going with anything else, I'm going to say that they really should have changed the flow and the plot to get this story out an issue fucking earlier with 975 and make that the big issue putting this i mean this is an important issue for all of dc comics not just for superman because of what happens at yes. the end of this particular book and then it's just like 976 and i'm like that's nothing wait 25 issues and put it in issue fucking 1000 if you're gonna do anything but don't skip a book i'm like come on guys uh so this story is basically the kind of summation or i don't know if it's the ending of the storyline seems to kind of be looks like there's going to be some different changes going on after this. We finally get to the end of the whole mystery of the weird Clark Kent, and then we start off with the, uh, I'm sorry kid, I don't know who your parents are, but we'll help you find him after we figure this all out. And I'm like, can you people just stop fucking with us, please? And then we finally get to a point which is 
it's a little hokey kind of how they do it, but they have the blue energy, which is a throwback to the shitty blue electric Superman, and the red energy, which is a throwback to the shitty red electric Superman. But they've got the two kind of energy forms, and they state that the blue is the classic post-crisis, pre-New 52 Superman. The red is the post-New 52 Superbro that had died and then Le- or Lois Lane had also then died and now we see why they died. They come back for a short little bit here and then kind of merge together kind of a little sneakily because their blue counterparts just kind of walk up behind them when they're all like, oh, the fuck you are? What is this? Uh, I'll help you, but you know, I'm a super bro. I got stuff to do. And then they kind of merge together. Look at my popped collar. Yeah, my popped collar. Like, Dad, what's with your collar? They kind of bring them together and much to the surprise of Mr. Oz, they merge together in a big flash of light, both worlds, the new 52 and the post-crisis DC Universe just kind of go boom and smack together. Oh, those panels are great where they have like all the... Around the shield? Yes. You know, we've got the pre-new 52 post-crisis post. They wear all black and their heads are covered and you can't see any skin. Darrell and Lara, you've got the rocket, you've got it crashing. You've got all this kind of coming together. You've got the death of Superman. I don't care how many times I see that image, that image always gets to me the the cape on the stick that what, her giving birth no. in the cave the cover of superman number 75 death of superman yeah de- death, death, of superman. death of superman oh uh i had that with the poly bag and the armband and my mom just threw it away damn and, you know we've got it all kind of coming back together again and he's like everything's gonna be fine we've got the new costume which i really like it's the new 52 costume and the previous costume kind of mixed together we've got the red boots we've got a red belt but we don't have the weird armor lines it's just spandex no trunks for those people who love trunks because it's just not going to happen no collar yeah no popped collar you've got his shoulders wide open and his parents remember him again lois is a red well kind of brunettish redhead it's a pretty good cape there, Yeah, too. it's a really nice cape. Gotta see them, everything together, and the families together. But in the end, Mr. Oz is all like, well, motherfucker, they did it. <laughs> we find that, you know, the worlds are all kind of together again, and everything's gonna be interesting. And then, okay, cool, see you next week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I really like those panels where they're talking about how things have been set in motion and they keep kind of like showing you the moon to, I think, suggest Dr. Manhattan. It's the red planet. Well, there's like the moon and then you see the uh, red. Yeah, Mars, the red planet. But I got to wonder if he's up on Mars, why didn't John Jones know about this? I'm just saying. We're coming to the head on the whole thing that's been happening since Rebirth with the mystery of Mr. Oz and who the the mysterious bad guy that's fucked up everything is and now that superman has kind of partially at least fixed things uh, to give people who liked the new 52 and uh, people who didn't like the new 52 maybe a little bit of everything can't wait to see where this is going i thought the art was good i especially like in the beginning you see mixelplick and his fucking crazy eyes that each one is different the one is like the little classic like hypnotism swirl He's got the crazy like, eyes they do mixelplick really well and they keep modifying like his size and his position within this like world of unreality i think they do really well with that in the world of pure imagination (laughs) yeah i like seeing the end of this piece of shit oh come on oh i wouldn't say that i'm gonna stick with the exact same line that i stuck with with last week which is that if you're like a super historian and you know everything that's going on with Superman, I'm sure that this is great. For those of us that aren't super into like every little bit of history, it's like this is confusing and boring and they stretch it on way too fucking long and you know it's the different references to all the different shit they have going on. Now that that had been explained to me last week, I'm just like, dude, do we really need another of the, I mean this is basically the same in my opinion. It's like they just drug it on another issue. Like, I actually 
actually liked the whole all the family stuff and the, you know the parents and all that and so it gave me the feels and I do like them pulling in a lot of the history references and those are the ones like the stuff that is like the classic story of Superman like the origin as it were and like the key points matters to me so like I love that panel like you're saying the one that has all the with all the bad guys in the middle on the shield and the, the panels going around explain I really like that panel and so I'm just glad that the kids reunited with his parents you know and I'm glad that it's not super bro really and like the collar went away because I was worried there for a minute I'm like no got rid of soup like a good thing I appreciate that I mean I'm but I'm glad it's wrapped up because I was sick of being jerked around because some of those things were really harsh and hard as a parent to read so what did you rate this one Matt I give it four and a half proper costumes I will give it four and a half you two are everything to me oh I'm going to give it three issues too long. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) I gave it four lives realigned. Nice. Yay. So those were the books we read this week. To check out our podcast, Broke Gaming and Cut the Cord, as well as other nerd shenanigans, go check out fourcolornerd.com or our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds. No, I'm never gonna dance again. <laughs> Guilty feet have got no rhythm. Time.